All right, so this is Second Coming Part 23, The Return of Joseph Smith, Part 3. And Jacob 5, starting in verse 70. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard sent his servant, and the servant went and did as the Lord had commanded him, and brought other servants, and they were few. Now, let's cross-reference to DNC 101. Verse 55, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men, and they that are of middle age also among all my servants who are the strength of my house, save only those whom I have appointed to tarry. So this is the parable of the redemption of Zion. And in the parable of the redemption of Zion, the Lord starts out um, talking about his servant, Joseph Smith Jr., along with all of the first labors in the last kingdom in verse 44. And in verse 55, we have the Lord speaking unto that servant, who is the chief of the, chief of the servants, and that his first commission was to go and to gather together the residue of my servants. Now, the residue of the servants are the same as those who were called the servants in verse 44. And in DNC 88, they're also called the first labors in the last kingdom. And they're also called by the Lord in the doctrine and covenants, my apostles and my friends. And the identity of this servant uh, who is commanded to go and gather together the residue of my servants is given in DNC 101 or DNC 103 verse verses 21 and 22. Verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant, to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. And then pay close attention um, to the wording that is used in verse 22 and how it parallels the mission of the servant in DNC 10155. Therefore, let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. say unto the strength of my house, my young men and the middle-aged, gather yourselves together unto the land of Zion upon the land which I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. So back in DNC 101. Verse 55 again, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men. They that are of middle aged also among all my servants who are the strength of my house, save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. And go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard and redeem my vineyard for it is mine. I have bought it with money. Therefore, get ye straightway unto the land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower, and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of my house and possess the land. So going back to DNC 76, or to Jacob 5, verse 70. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard sent his servant... And the servant went and did as the Lord had commanded him and brought other servants or the residue of my servants. And the reason that in DNC 101, they're called the residue 
of my servants is that not all of the original servants make it. You know, some of them, as we read in, you know, DNC 85, were not true and faithful and did not qualify to return in this, their last uh, ministry before the second coming of Jesus Christ. Continuing in verse 70 of Jacob 5, and brought other servants, and they were few, or the residue of my servants. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto them, Go and labor in the vineyard with your might. For behold, this is the last time that I shall nourish my vineyard. Now, this does not have reference to, as we will soon learn, Joseph Smith's first ministry, but to his second. Um, in Joseph Smith's first ministry, that was not the final time that the Lord would uh, nourish his vineyard. For the last time uh, is when the separation of the wheat and the tares, the wise from the foolish virgins, would take place. The gathering out, as it says in DNC 101, of the strength of the Lord's house in preparation, as is continued in DNC 103, for that end time exodus that Joseph Smith would lead, that would culminate with meeting up with Enoch, the return of his city, and the establishment of New Jerusalem. For the end is nigh at hand, and the season speedily cometh. And if ye labor with your might, with me, Ye shall have joy in the fruit which I shall lay up unto myself against the time which will soon come. Now, as we as we go through the different vineyard parables in and allegories in the scriptures, um, usually trees or vines bearing fruit is for men and or women and or a people to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart, contrite spirit and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And this only happens after Christ pleads their case with father and receives permission to adopt him, them as his sons or his daughters. And it is this adoption as sons and daughters, that is the vine or the tree bringing forth fruit that Christ or the Lord of the vineyard is then able to lay up store unto himself. And again, at the end of verse 71, and if ye labor with your might with me, ye shall have joy in the fruit, which I shall lay up unto myself. And the reason that Joseph Smith and the end time servants are able to assist the Lord in the work of laying up fruit is because with the return of the end time servant, the heavens are again opened. And through the new and everlasting covenant, it becomes possible again to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and to become Christ's sons and daughters. And with the opening of the heavens, with the restoration of the fullness of the gospel, the terrestrial order of the church of Christ, then again is the fullness of the doctrine of Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ preached in power and in authority. And this is how the end time servant, so DNC 103, verse 1, 
the Lord is talking to his servants, including Joseph Smith Jr., um, about the continuation of their ministry in their second ministry. Verse 1 in DNC 103, Verily I say unto you, my friends, behold, I will give unto you a revelation and commandment that you may know how to act in the discharge of your duties concerning the salvation and redemption of your brethren who have been scattered on the land of Zion. And verse 4, And that those who call themselves after my name might be chastened for a little season with a sore and grievous chastisement because they did not altogether hearken unto the precepts and commandments which I gave unto them. So in their first ministry, you know, the servants by and large did not hearken unto all the commandments of God. But we find out that those who are both called and chosen in this, their second ministry do this time hearken unto all the commandments of God. Jacob 5, verse 72 again, And it came to pass that the servants did go and labor with their might, and the Lord of the vineyard labored also with them, and they did obey the commandments of the Lord of the vineyard in all things. And this is exactly why they are qualified to be the end-time servants, is because they hearken unto the commandments of the Lord in all things. Now, if we cross-reference this to JST Genesis 9. And in JST Genesis 9, starting in verse 21. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant which I made with thy father Enoch. So in these scriptures, the Lord is talking to Noah about the covenant that he made with his great-grandfather Enoch about the return of the city of Enoch to the earth right before Christ comes in his glory at the end of the earth. That when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come on the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. So how is it possible that men and women could keep all of God's commandments? Well, the answer is given, and this directly relates to the Lord's end-time servants. The Lord tells us in 2 Nephi chapter 32. In 2 Nephi chapter 32, uh, verse 1, Nephi poses the question, well, you may wonder what should I do after I have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or entered in by the gate. Verse 3, Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. So 2 Nephi 31 and 32 is actually Nephi's final commentary on the Tree of Life vision. And in these two chapters of commentary on the Tree of Life vision, we find out that the gate through which one must enter is baptism by water, and the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the baptism by water is into the terrestrial order of the gospel, which is performed by the power and authority of the first order of Melchizedek priesthood. Versus that baptism of water, which is performed by the Aaronic priesthood into the preparatory gospel. 
So after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, then the words of Christ are placed into our hearts, which if we will hearken unto all those words or feast upon the words of Christ, they will tell us everything that we should do to what? To come to the tree who is Christ and to partake of the fruit, which is eternal life. So the how of keeping all of God's commandments is after we receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, we listen to and are obedient to the voice of the Spirit. And so these end-time servants are doing precisely that. They have entered into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. They receive the baptism of fire, baptism, Holy Ghost, and then they feast upon the words of Christ, just as the gospel which they are preaching, which is the doctrine of Christ, um, all those to whom they are preaching are to do precisely the same. You know, but they have entered into this covenant and are obeying um, the words of Christ or the dictates of the Spirit. And this is how men and women can be part of the fulfilling of the prophecy, which was given to Noah about the covenant that God made with his great-grandfather Enoch about the return of his city. So continuing in, in JST Genesis 9:21, that when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come on the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. Well, the city of Enoch returns um, when the end time exodus, which is led by Joseph Smith, that first gathers out the strength of the Lord's house among the Latter-day Saints, and then continues the missionary efforts, first to the Lamanites, and then uh, starting to the rest of the house of Israel. And the, the wheat is gathered up into the garners of eternal life, or they join the end time exodus. And this end time exodus, you know, like we said, culminates with meeting up with Enoch, the return of the city and establishing new Jerusalem. So JST Genesis nine, you know, has to do with the end time exodus that is led by Joseph Smith. Verse 22. And this is my everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward, and all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy, and the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth, and shall have place until the end come. And this is my everlasting covenant, which I made with thy father Enoch. During the millennium, there are two main groups of people, uh, those who qualify to enter into New Jerusalem and those who are working on qualifying and are without the walls. And the vast majority will start out without the walls of the city of New Jerusalem. And as we read here, inside New Jerusalem, the celestial order of the gospel will officiate or the church of the firstborn which is the church of God, the father, the uh, 
first ranking member of that order is Jesus Christ. And then outside the New Jerusalem, the Church of Christ will officiate and it will work with individuals, um, mostly who had never had the opportunity to receive the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this life. Um, and so during the millennial period, they will work with the terrestrial order of the gospel, the church of Christ to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism, Holy ghost, and then qualify for one of the 144,000 to work with them to help them ascend one more spiritual level to the church of the firstborn level and qualify to enter into new Jerusalem. While most of those who receive the baptism of fire, baptism, Holy ghost prior to Christ coming in his glory will do so around the time of the end time Exodus, or as the missionary effort goes forward to them, um, they will enter into the new covenant. They'll receive baptism by water into the terrestrial church of Christ. And then they will uh, be prepared to receive the ordinance of baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy ghost by those who are their ministers. And, you know, most of the Latter-day Saints actually who will be counted among the number of the strength of the Lord's house who will be gathered out uh, will receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost about the time of that end time exodus. And then they qualify as they go on the end time exodus for one of the 144,000 to work with them. And as soon as they're ready, ascend into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and have him seal upon them their calling and election and make it sure as is outlined in DNC 76 verse 53. Going back to Jacob chapter five, again, verse 72. And it came to pass that the servants did go and labor with their might and the way that these servants are laboring with their might is first, as is outlined in DNC 101, and then in 103, gathering first out the strength of the Lord's house. And strength of the Lord's house being defined as those members of the restoration movements. You know, the, the largest of those bodies is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, those individuals who have ears to hear and hearts to understand that when the fullness of the gospel is taught to them in power and authority by the power and authority of the Holy ghost, they receive it with gladness and enter into this covenant. Um, this is the labor that the servants are performing. And then once the end time Exodus starts, it is to first gather out the strength of the Lord's house among the Lamanites that a separation may occur among them, that the wheat among the Lamanites may join the end time exodus and, you know, become part of that missionary effort, which will continue to gather Israel until the establishment of new Jerusalem. And then we'll continue from there at even a higher level to gather out Israel, preparing for Christ coming in his glory. 
And we find that the Lord of the vineyard labored also with them. Now, if we go back to DNC 103, talking about the end time exodus, which is to be headed up by Joseph Smith. Verse 15, behold, I see unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them, like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. And ye must needs be led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. So by this we know that the Latter-day Saints, and in fact, as we learn in Isaiah, all the peoples of the whole earth come into bondage. And we see the very foundations of this bondage being laid right now with what is happening with uh, COVID-19 and the development of the vaccine and that which is about to happen because of it. But the Lord's people will not enter into covenant with Babylon. Um, And part of this covenant with Babylon is very much involved with the vaccine which is coming and which our church leaders have already laid the foundation to tell us that the Lord would have us receive this vaccine, which is not true. And as your fathers were led at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. For I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, mine angel shall go up before you, but not my presence. And here is the cross-reference. But I say unto you, mine angel shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time ye shall possess the goodly land. So in Jacob 5, when we read in verse 72, that the Lord of the vineyard labored also with them. He's talking about um, the end time exodus as he assists the end time laborers and servants in gathering Israel. Verse 73, and there began to be the natural fruit again in the vineyard. And the natural branches began to grow and thrive exceedingly. In other words, when a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints receives the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, one of the things that happens is that the Gentile blood is burned out of them and they become blood Israel. And then as the servants continue to gather out Israel from the four quarters of the earth, as they also accept the fullness of the gospel and enter into the covenant and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, This is how the natural branches begin to grow and thrive exceedingly, and the wild branches begin to be plucked off and to be cast away. Or in other words, there is a separation between the wheat and the tares. So if we go back to DNC 101, verse 65, Therefore, I must gather together my people 
according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and to be crowned with celestial glory when I shall come in the kingdom of my Father to reward every man according as his work shall be, while the tares shall be bound in bundles and their bands made strong that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Now, these two verses talk specifically about what happens to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and all of the restoration um, movements. They're either um, gathered into the garners of eternal life and are wheat or are tares. And the thing that separates the wheat and the tares are those who uh, accept the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ or the new and everlasting covenant and those who reject it. And it will be incumbent on those who receive the fullness of the gospel by that time to have gained enough discernment that they are able to recognize a true prophet from a false one, one who speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost and one who does not. So 73 again, and there began to be the natural fruit again in the vineyard. And the natural branches began to grow and to thrive exceedingly. And the wild branches began to be plucked off and to be cast away. And they did keep the root and the top thereof equal according to the strength thereof. Verse 74. And thus they labored with all diligence according to the commandments of the Lord of the vineyard, even until the bad had been cast away out of the vineyard. And the Lord had preserved unto himself that the trees had become again the natural fruit. And they became like unto one body. And that's because they are all gathered to the city of New Jerusalem. And this is before, you know, Christ comes in his glory. And the Lord of the vineyard had preserved unto himself the natural fruit, which was most precious unto him from the beginning. And it came to pass that when the Lord of the vineyard saw that his fruit was good and that his vineyard was no more corrupt, he called up his servants and said unto them, Behold, for this last time have we nourished my vineyard, and thou beholdest that I have done according to my will, and I have preserved the natural fruit that it is good, even like as it was in the beginning. And blessed art thou, For because ye have been diligent in laboring with me in my vineyard and have kept my commandments and have brought unto me again the natural fruit, that my vineyard is no more corrupted and the bad is cast away, behold, ye shall have joy with me because of the fruit of my vineyard. Now, as a cross-reference, let's go to DNC 77. And DNC 77 talks specifically about the work of the 144,000 and how they become 144,000 and what their work will be um, during this end time period. Now, those who are gathered out, who are among the strength of the Lord's house, uh, who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, they then qualify for 
the personal ministry of the 144,000. So verse 11, question, what are we to understand by the sealing of the 144,000? Out of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of every tribe. Answer, we are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests. High priests in the holy order. Now let's quickly cross-reference Alma chapter 13. Alma chapter 13, verse 1. And again, my brethren, I would cite your minds forward to the time when the Lord God gave these commandments unto the children. And I would that you should remember that the Lord God ordained priests. Now, the priests that are being talked about here are priests uh, in the holy order or high priests. And remember that there are two different orders of Melchizedek priesthood. The first order of Melchizedek priesthood was restored to Joseph Smith by Peter, James, and John. The apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. And as we learn in DNC 84, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood has, has three primary functions. One, it officiates in the terrestrial order of the gospel of the church of Christ. Two, it has the authority to baptize with water into the terrestrial order of the gospel. And three, it has the power and authority to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. But the second order of Melchizedek priesthood, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood, which only resides within the church of the firstborn, was restored to Joseph Smith on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley farm. When Joseph Smith and 23 other men were ordained to this priesthood and unto the office of high priest in the holy order, which is very different than the office of high priest in the LDS church today. It's, it's not the same order of priesthood. The Lord God ordained priests after the, his holy order, which was after the order of his son to teach these things to the people. And those priests were ordained after the order of his son in a manner that thereby the people might know in what manner to look forward to his son for redemption. And this is the manner after which they were ordained. And in this verse is a grand key and a grand secret to about how the eternities work. And the true or the full meaning of the doctrine of resurrection. Being called and prepared from the foundation of the world according to the foreknowledge of God, on account of their exceeding faith and good works in the first place, being left to choose good or evil. Therefore, they having chosen good and exercising exceedingly great faith are called with a holy calling. Yea, with that holy calling, which was prepared with and according to a preparatory redemption for such. And there is a lot of spiritual, spiritual meat packed into those words and verses. Now, this is also the order of the gospel talked about in DNC 76, or I should say the order of the priesthood in DNC 76, that after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost in verse 51 um, or 52, and after the calling election being made sure in verse 53, then being ordained and sealed to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood. They are they, in verse 55, into whose hands the Father hath given all things. They are they who are priests and kings, 
who received of his fullness and of his glory, and are priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. Now, this is another name for the second order of Melchizedek priesthood or the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood. Wherefore, as it is written, they are God's little g, even the sons of God, big G. Now, there are two parts to every priesthood, as we learn in DNC 76, verse 52. At the very end, it tells us that the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, must be performed of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. So the first part of every priesthood is the ordination where one receives authority. Then there is always a test, and only if a man passes that test is that priesthood ever sealed upon him, and he gains power in that priesthood. And so to become a king and a priest under the Most High God, to become God's little g, even the sons of God, big G, one must be ordained and sealed to uh, the first and second orders of the Melchizedek priesthood. And this is what is being talked about. Now, this order of the priesthood is also discussed in JST Genesis 14. Um, and in JST Genesis 14, it said, it says that, this priesthood, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood, was delivered unto men by the calling of his own voice, according to his own will, unto as many as believed on his name. For God, having sworn unto Enoch and unto his seed with an oath by himself, that everyone being ordained after this order and calling should have power by faith to break up mountains, to divide the seas, to dry up waters, to turn them out of their courses. To put it defiance the armies of nations, to divide the earth, to break every band, to stand in the presence of God, to do all things according to his will, according to his commands, subdue principalities and powers. And this by the will of the Son of God, which was from before the foundation of the world. And talking about Enoch's day and men having this faith coming up unto this order of God or the order of of having the patriarch Lord of the Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon them were translated and taken up into heaven. And now Melchizedek was a priest of this order. Therefore he obtained peace in Salem and was called the Prince of peace. And his people wrought righteousness and obtained heaven and sought for the city of Enoch, which God had before taken, separating it from the earth, having reserved it unto the latter days or to the end of the world. So when a man ascends to the level of king and priest, which is the level of having this priesthood sealed upon him and becomes a God, little G, even the son of God, big G, um, that is the ascension level of a translated being. Now, whether or not one actually is translated at the time of that ascension depends upon one's mission. Now, Joseph Smith became a king and a priest under the Most High God in 1843. Uh, or, in other words, he had this order of the priesthood sealed upon him. Um, but because it did not comport with his mission at the time, he was not translated. And it's the same for most 
before the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, there will be a f- most who ascend to this level will do so after Christ comes in his glory. But those who do ascend to this level before Christ comes in his glory, um, the vast majority of them, it also will not be their time and place to be translated yet until Christ comes in his glory because the work that must be done in the preparation for Christ coming in his glory is the work of flesh and blood. And, you know, once a man or a woman becomes translated, uh, they're no longer subject to the vicissitudes of life, of hunger, of thirst, fatigue, um, or the adversary. And they become an assistant to flesh and blood. Um, And so there are a handful who are required to ascend to this level before uh, Christ comes in his glory because it is their mission to help those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost on the end time exodus to ascend to the church of the firstborn. So back in DNC 77, uh, verse 11, answer, we are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests ordained unto the holy order of God, just as we read in Alma 13, just as we read in JST Genesis 14, just as we read in DNC 76. They are sealed high priests ordained unto the holy order of God to administer the everlasting gospel. For they are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn, which is the ascension level required to enter into New Jerusalem. So what is required to ascend to the church of the firstborn after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is set forth in DNC 76. So in the NC 76, verse 53, verse 52 being the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, it says, and who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, the Holy Spirit of promise being Christ, even more specifically, an aspect or a specific mission of Jesus Christ to act as a keeper at the gate. That is um, the mission of Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit of promise. And he employeth no servant there. And are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true. Well, this ascending to the level of just and true is having an ascension experience, just like Moses did in Moses chapter 1 or Nephi did in 1 Nephi chapter 11, not just to see in vision and not just to have Christ come and visit them on this earth, but actually to ascend to the seventh heaven or the high mountain, not an earthly mountain, but the heavenly mountain where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. And again, not just seeing, but actually going. And when after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, one has hearkened unto all the commandments of God required for them to have this ascension experience, just like Moses and just like Nephi had 
as those accounts we have recorded. Then they come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, or in other words, Christ makes their calling and election sure, and thereby they become members of the church of the firstborn, which is what is required to enter into New Jerusalem. Continuing in DNC 76, verse 54, they are they who are the church of the firstborn. And so knowing that this ascension level is the ascension level of those who are just and true. Now, as you go back and read the Book of Mormon, you will see this ascension level referred to both by King Benjamin and also by Alma. And unless you know what this ascension level is, uh, that part of their sermon just goes over your head. Back to Jacob 5. Starting again in verse 75. And it came to pass that when the Lord of the vineyard saw that his fruit was good. Which means entering into the new covenant. Receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then continuing to feast upon the words of Christ and coming into his presence in the fullness of his glory, becoming a member of the church of the firstborn and thus qualifying to enter into new Jerusalem. Saw that his fruit was good and that his vineyard was no more corrupt. He called up his servants and said unto them, behold, for this last time have we nourished my vineyard. And thou beholdest that I have done according to my will, and I have preserved the natural fruit, that it is good, even like as it was in the beginning. And blessed art thou, for because ye have been diligent in laboring with me in my vineyard, and have kept my commandments, and have brought unto me again the natural fruit, that my vineyard is no more corrupted, and the bad is cast away. Behold, you shall have joy with me because of the fruit of my vineyard. So the work of the servant and entire servants doesn't conclude with Christ coming in his glory. It extends throughout the millennial period and the work that will be taking place there. Verse 76, for behold, for a long time, will I lay up of the fruit of my vineyard unto mine own self against the season which speedily cometh. So, you know, this is talking about during the millennial period, outside the New Jerusalem, the Church of Christ is ministering to those who qualify to make it into the millennium, but have not yet qualified to make it into New Jerusalem or the Church of the Firstborn. You know, helping them receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that is why it says that after the millennial reign of peace starts, for behold, for a long time, for a thousand years, in fact, will I lay up of the fruit of my vineyard unto mine own self against the season which speedily cometh. And that speedy, that season which speedily cometh is the end of the millennium when Satan is loosed and we have the battle of Gog and Magog. So Satan gathers his forces. Most are outside the gates of New Jerusalem, a few within inside New Jerusalem, as well as 
uh, a portion of those who have been, you know, born um, as spirits, but have not yet taken upon themselves uh, physical body immortality. So at the end of the millennium, the battle of Gog and Magog is a brand new war in heaven. And this should give more insight and more details into what the war of heaven is. And also, um, there are many who died who were not on the earth at the time that Christ came in his glory, but qualified to make it into the millennium. You know, they are, they come forth in the millennium. And those who have ascended to the level of just men made perfect or um, to the level of, you know, end time servant. Uh, this is a level of 144,000. You know, they are restored or resurrected to, you know, a high level translated terrestrial body. And they come, you know, with Christ in his glory, along with those who have also ascended to that level, who have had the patriarch Lord and because the priesthood sealed upon them. They are also caught up with Christ and come forth with him in his glory but most who make that transition into the millennial period uh, do not yet qualify at that level. So they're not caught up with Christ to come down with him, but they are able to make the transition into the millennial period. Um, so those who aren't at the level of just men made perfect, um, you know, are brought forth uh, during the millennial period and also have the opportunity um, while in the flesh in that state to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy ghost, and then be worked with by one of the 144,000. And this is where the vast majority of the work of the 144,000 will take place is actually during Christ's millennial reign. So DNC or Jacob 576 you know, starting again, for behold, for a long time will I lay up the fruit of my vineyard unto mine own self against the season which speedily cometh. And for the last time have I nourished my vineyard and pruned it and dug about it and dunged it. Wherefore, I will lay up unto mine own self of the fruit for a long time, according to that which I have spoken. And verse 77. And when the time cometh that the evil fruit shall again come into my vineyard or when Satan is loosed and draws away again the hearts of men and women, then will I cause the good and the bad to be gathered. And this, this gathering is the battle of Gog and Magog. And the good will I preserve unto myself. And the bad will I cast away into its own place. And then cometh the season and the end. And my vineyard will I cause to be burned with fire. Now this is when the earth ascends from the terrestrial to the celestial. And it burns with a fervent heat. More intense than the burning that will occur when Christ comes in the fullness of his glory and it will become as a sea of glass. Finishing up with the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith Jr. 
let's go to DNC 85. And DNC 85, starting in verse 6. Yea, thus saith the still small voice. And this also is an important you know, aspect that most of us don't quite understand. Most of us have been taught that the Spirit speaks through feelings. And if we feel good, that's the voice of the Spirit confirming truth to us. Um, however, the adversary is the master of emotional manipulation and feelings. And the adversary will stir up within us feelings that we mistake for the Holy Ghost and become deceived. And then when the true feelings of the Spirit are present, which feelings are sanctification and peace, uh, that is the sign that the still small voice is coming to us to deliver a message, which may not be a confirmation of what we are experiencing or the words we are hearing. That is one option. But another, another option is that this still small voice could be telling us that everything that you are hearing is actually false. Or the Spirit could be saying by the still small voice, some of what you are hearing is true and some of it is false. Or the Spirit could be saying everything that you are hearing are true. But to know which of those it is, when we feel the intimations of the Spirit, that burning or that cleansing and or peace, we have to open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand and pay attention. Okay. What thoughts, feelings, and impressions are coming to my mind and heart because they come through a still small voice, just as to the people of Nephi in third Nephi chapter 11, before Christ comes, the father introduces his son and as a result, the people start having a baptism of fire. Now, not the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, but a baptism of fire, which causes their hearts to burn. And while they needed that sanctification, that sanctification wasn't the message. And Father had to repeat himself three times before the people finally opened their ears to hear and their hearts to understand. And the message was delivered by a still small voice in third Nephi chapter 11 verse three. And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven and they cast their eyes round about for they understood not the voice which they heard because their ears and their hearts were not yet open. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice, nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice. It did pierce them that did hear to the center, insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul, and it caused their hearts to burn. Or in other words, they started receiving a concentrated portion of the light of Christ, which we initiated a baptism of fire, which is a sanctification. And there is always a message that goes along with a baptism of fire 
or the feelings or intimations, the true ones of the spirit versus the emotional manipulation that the adversary engages in. And it came to pass that again, they heard the voice and they understood it not. Notice the emphasis on a voice as distinct from the burning and the feelings of the spirit that they were experiencing. Or in other words, it was not sufficient just to experience the sanctification of the spirit. They also had to receive the message. Verse five. And again, the third time they did hear the voice and it opened their ears to hear it. And their eyes were toward the sound thereof. And they did look steadfastly toward heaven from whence the sound came. And behold, the third time they did understand the voice which they heard. And so we must do the same. If we are ever going to ascend from foolish to wise virgin, we also must open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. We must receive not only the sanctification that the Spirit has to offer, which is literally burning dross out of us and replacing it with light, but we also have to learn to receive the message because it's only through receiving the message that it will be possible for us to continue to receive sufficient light that when Christ does come in his glory and as that which is telestial is burned out of us, that there's enough left to continue on into the millennium. Back to DNC 85, verse 6. Yea, thus saith the still small voice. And just another word upon that. Joseph Smith did not receive the revelations that are recorded in Doctrine and Covenants by just tuning himself into a feeling. Yes, he received sanctification, but he had to open his ears to hear and his heart to understand the still small voice, which conveyed the message in words. Yea, thus saith the still small voice, which whispereth through and pierceth all things. So we have the combination of the information through spoken word to our heart and mind and the sanctification. And oftentimes it maketh my bones to quake while it maketh manifest saying. So Joseph Smith is saying, and this is actually, DNC 85 is taken from a letter that Joseph Smith wrote to W.W. Phelps. So Joseph Smith is receiving frequent baptisms of fire as he is receiving the still small voice. Verse 7, And it shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand. Now, the Lord isn't talking about that he has sent one mighty and strong. This is not talking about Joseph Smith in his first ministry. This is talking about Joseph Smith in his second ministry. DNC 101 for 55. And the Lord said unto one of his servants, 
And just as we have been reading in Jacob 5, starting in verse 70, as the Lord called again Joseph Smith in his second ministry. This has reference to the second ministry of Joseph Smith. An important distinction is that both Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith in their first ministry came as lambs. And both in their second ministries come back as warriors and as lions. That is another distinction between Joseph Smith in his first versus his second ministry. In his second ministry, he comes back as one mighty and strong. Now, this also has reference to before he will come on the scene and finish the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, which will have been commenced by the servants so that he can lead out the end time exodus. He will have had the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him. And he will have the power to command the elements. And this is what is meant by mighty and strong. And that he will exercise that power. While he did have that power sealed upon him by 1843, um, he was never really authorized to exercise the full measure of that priesthood because it didn't uh, coincide with his mission at the time, but it does fully coincide with his mission during his second ministry. That showing forth the power and authority of the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood to defy the armies of nations, to quench the violence of fires, to move rivers and mountains out of their place and course. I will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter the words of eternal, uh, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, or in other words, as we're told um, in First Nephi 20 and 21, which is quoting Isaiah 48 and 49, there are three ways by which we are to recognize Joseph Smith in his return. The first is that he speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Um, second, he declares that the prophecies that he already made during his first ministry and are recorded in Doctrine and Covenants have now been fulfilled. And number three, he brings forth new doctrine which has never before been revealed since the foundation of the earth. And so, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words. You know, these eternal words are the three ways that we are to know him, as identified by Isaiah in Isaiah 48 and 49, and quoted by Nephi in Nephi 20 and 21 while his bowels shall be a fountain of truth to set in order the house of God. Now, the house of God, um, as defined in DNC 101 in the parable of the redemption of Zion, is the membership primarily of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but it's also expanded to all the branches of the Restoration, including... Um, those Christian sects 
that have also adopted the Book of Mormon and thus are sufficiently um, informed of the fullness of the gospel and to whom uh, the servants and Joseph will declare if they qualify for deliverance from destruction, the fullness of the gospel and will be gathered out as the strength of the Lord's house on the end time exodus. Well, his bow shall be a fountain of truth to set in order the house of God. So the house of God, meaning primarily the Latter-day Saints, but all of the restoration branches, and they only have to be set in order because they are out of order. As we learn in DNC 124, the church had come under condemnation. In 1832, as we read in DNC 84, for rejecting the new covenant in the Book of Mormon, the very path by which they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and become sons and daughters of Christ. They proceed from condemnation to covenant curse in 1834 when Christ takes his name out of the church, and the name of the church is renamed from the Church of Christ to the Church of Latter day Saints. The Lord gives the saints chance after chance after chance to repent and return, receive back everything that has been taken from them, i.e. the fullness of the gospel and the Melchizedek priesthood, which was taken from them in 1834. Parenthetically, not from Joseph Smith or those who were true and faithful in the Holy Order, but from the 99 plus percent who weren't part of the Holy Order, who were members of the Church of Christ, which was demoted to the preparatory gospel or Church of Latter-day Saints. And in verse 27 in DNC 24, it says, or verse 28, pardon me, for there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which was lost unto you or which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood, the fullness of the priesthood being the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, which presides in the terrestrial church of Christ. But I command you in verse 31, all ye my saints to build a house unto me, and I grant unto you a sufficient time to build a house unto me. During this time, your baptisms shall be acceptable unto me. Or in other words, um, the sufficient time being granted is during the lifetime of Joseph. And Joseph was to have been the man to have dedicated the Nauvoo Temple. Verse 32, but behold, at the end of this appointment, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things at the end of the appointment, you shall be rejected as a church with your dead, thus saith the Lord your God. For verily I say unto you, that after you have had sufficient time to build a house unto me, wherein the ordinance of the baptism, baptizing for the dead belongeth, and for which the same was instituted from before the foundation of the world, your baptisms for your dead cannot be acceptable unto me. Now, we have assumed that this did not happen until the death of Joseph Smith. You know, however, according to statements by Lyman White, this actually occurred even before the death of Joseph Smith. Um, in History of the Church, Volume 2, page 790, Lyman White said, we were to have a sufficient time to build that house, during which time our baptisms for our dead should be acceptable in the river. If we did not build within this time, we were to be rejected as a church 
we and our dead together. Both the temple and baptizing went very leisurely till the temple was somewhere in building the second story when Brother Joseph from the stand announced the alarming declaration that baptism for our dead was no longer acceptable in the river. As much to say the time for building the temple had passed by and both we and our dead were rejected together. The church now stands rejected together with their dead. The church being rejected now stands alienated from her God in every sense of the word. So according to Lyman White, who was one of the uh, few who did not apostatize from the Holy Order and had been ordained also to the Patriarchal Order because it priesthood um, on the same day as Joseph Smith, declared that we had, in fact, he heard it from the lips of Joseph Smith and rejected as a church with our dead. Verse 33 in DNC 124. For verily I say unto you, that after you have had sufficient time to build a house unto me, wherein the ordinances of baptism for the dead belongeth, for which the same was instituted from before the foundation of the world, your baptisms for your dead cannot be acceptable unto me. And so thus we stood rejected as a church with our dead. And this is what is being referred to um, in DNC 85. If we go back, let's read verse 7 again. And it shall come to pass that I, the Lord, will send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter words, eternal words, while his bow shall be the fountain of truth to set in order the house of God. So it has to be set in order because... During his first ministry, we came under condemnation, which went to proceeded to covenant curse as we were demoted to the preparatory gospel. And then sometime before his death, as Lyman White uh, iterated and is recorded in DNC 124, we were demoted from the preparatory gospel, the telestial order. DNC 85 verse 7, and it shall come to pass that I, the Lord God, will send one mighty and strong holding the scepter of power in his hand, clothed with light for a covering, whose mouth shall utter the words, eternal words, while his bow shall be a fountain of truth to set in order the house of God. And we see things severely out of order when the president of the church would recommend and likely will tell the members of the church that God would have them receive the vaccine for COVID-19, which is a death sentence. And to arrange by lot the inheritances of the saints whose names are found and the names of their fathers and their children enrolled in the book of the law of God. While that man who was called of God and appointed that putteth forth his hand to steady the ark of God shall fall by the shaft of death like as a tree that is smitten by the vivid shaft of lighting, lightning. This is talking about that legal administrator in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who will fight against 
the Lord's end time servant, Joseph Smith, Jr. And all they who are not found written in the book of remembrance shall find none inheritance in that day, but they shall be cut asunder. Now, to find inheritance in the book of remembrance, what we need to do is what Christ declares in 3 Nephi chapter 9. In 3 Nephi chapter 9, in verse 17, first part. And as many as have received me, to them have I given to become the sons of God. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me redemption cometh, and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. Now this does not mean that it is sufficient to be written in the book of life simply to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior um, by saying the words or even being baptized into the preparatory gospel. What this means is to draw close to um, God with not only our lips, but also our hearts. And this is how, in verse 20, And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That is how we get our names written in the Lamb's book of life. And because we as Latter-day Saints have had greater access to the fullness of the gospel through the scriptures of the restoration than any other uh, people upon the face of the earth, there is more that is expected of us. So what is expected of us is that we have sufficiently complied that we might have our names written in the Lamb's book of life, while others will be given more time to um, enter into the new covenant, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they might also be written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's go back to DNC 85. Verse 9, And all they who are not found written in the book of remembrance shall find none inheritance in that day, but they shall be cut asunder, and their portion shall be appointed them among unbelievers, where are wailing and gnashing of teeth. Or in other words, uh, they will be ushered into that area where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth when, in DNC 101, Verse 66, while the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. Now back to DNC 85. These things I say not of myself. Therefore, as the Lord speaketh, he will also fulfill. So Joseph Smith, he is prophesying of his own return and that he is to be the Lord's end time servant and the one mighty and strong. And he wants us to know that he speaks not these things of his own pride, of his own vain ambition, but that he was commanded to write these things by the Lord. Verse 11, and they who are of the high priesthood, whose names are not found written in the book of the law, or that are found to have 
apostatized or to have been cut off from the church as well as the lesser priesthood or the members in that day shall not find an inheritance among the saints of the most high. Now, what does that mean? Let's unpack that. They who are of the high priesthood. So, Joseph Smith is now talking about those who are to return with him. Now, this is given in on November 27th, 1832. And those who were ordained with him to this high priesthood, that was on June 4th, 1831. And it was these men for whom the original uh, sessions of the School of the Prophets was instituted, being distinguished from the School of the Elders, these are the first laborers in the last kingdom or the servants in DNC 101.55 who are to return with Joseph Smith. This is the high priesthood being referred to. It is the holy order. Um, the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood, whose names are not found written in the book of the law. Now, why would their names be found not to be written in the book of the law? Well, it's because they hardened their hearts and they, they left Jesus Christ. Now, most of the first laborers in the last kingdom, they started out true and faithful and they strayed for a period of time, but they ended up repenting and returning. And there were many experiences that they had to receive between the finish of their mortality with Joseph Smith and when they would return with Joseph as end time servants for the very last time. But those who did what was required and most of them were prodigal sons because they did return, uh, they returned with Joseph Smith, but those who do not, those who became hardened to the point where they were willing to murder the saints and Joseph Smith, um, although they weren't the only ones in the church who were hardened to that point, but there were some among that number. Um, that would disqualify them from, even though their name had been written in the book of the law, it had been stricken. So whose names are not found written in the book of the law or that are found to have apostatized. Well, and that's how it happens. Or to have been cut off from the church as well as the lesser priesthood. So the lesser priesthood uh, is not needed during millennium. Um, the lesser priesthood is something that is needed in a telestial world. And it is the lesser priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood, the two orders, the Levitical and Aaronic that officiate in the preparatory gospel, but the preparatory gospel doesn't make it into the millennium. Nothing which is telestial makes it into the millennium. Only that which is terrestrial and that which officiates in the terrestrial order is the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. So those men who by the time Christ comes in his glory, um, who have been in his church, who have not also received the Melchizedek priesthood, they do not make it. In that day, 
shall not find an inheritance among the saints of the Most High. Um, Or in other words, they not only will not qualify to make it into New Jerusalem, they will not qualify to transition into Christ's millennial reign. All right. In D&C 29, verses 22 through 29. And again, verily, verily, I say unto you that when the thousand years are ended and men again begin to deny their God. So let's, let's put this in context. Um, the last verse in Jacob 5, verse 77. And when the time cometh that the evil fruit shall again come into my vineyard, then will I cause the good and the bad to be gathered. And the good will I preserve unto myself, and the bad will I cast away into its own place. And then cometh the season and the end, and my vineyard will I cause to be burned with fire. So, DNC 29, 22. And again, verily I say unto you, that when the thousand years are ended, and men again begin to deny their God, then will I spare the earth but for a little season. Or in other words, the battle of Gog and Magog is not fought and resolved instantly. It goes on for a period of time. And as we've discussed previously, this also describes and gives insight into what in the book of Enoch are called watchers. Verse 23, And the end shall come, And the heaven and the earth shall be consumed and pass away, and there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. So the earth actually goes into a different plane of existence when we transition from telestial to terrestrial. It passes through a series of veils, and it finds itself in a solar system, which is not our current solar system, but one which is in the terrestrial realm of glory. And then at the end of the battle of Gog and Magog, again, the earth will move into a new location and will move through a series of veils into uh, a part of the universe, which is celestial. And therefore there shall be a new heaven and a new earth. For all old things shall pass away, and all things shall become new, even the heaven and the earth, and all the fullness thereof, both men and beasts and fowls of the air and the fishes of the sea. And not one hair nor mote shall be lost, for it is the workmanship of mine hand. But behold, verily I send to you, before the earth shall pass away, Michael, an archangel, shall sound his trump, and they'll, then shall the dead awake, for their graves shall be opened, and they shall come forth, yea, even all. And the righteous shall be gathered on my right hand unto eternal life, and the wicked on my left hand will I be ashamed to own before my Father. Wherefore, I will say unto them, depart from me, ye cursed unto everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And now behold, I see unto you, never at any time have I declared from mine own mouth that they should return, or where I am, they cannot come, 
for they have no power. Verse DNC 77, verses 1 and 12. Verse 1, question. What is the sea of glass spoken of by John, 4th chapter and 6th verse of Revelation? Answer, it is the earth in its sanctified, immortal, and eternal state. Verse 12, question, what are we to understand by the sounding of the trumpets mentioned in the 8th chapter of Revelation? Answer, we are to understand that as God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he finished his work and sanctified it, and also formed man out of the dust of the earth, even so in the beginning of the 7,000 years will the Lord God sanctify the earth and complete the salvation of man. And judge all things, and shall redeem all things, except that which he hath not put into his power. When he shall have sealed all things unto the end of all things, and the sounding of the trumpets of the seven angels are the preparing and finishing of his work. In the beginning of the seventh thousand years, and the preparing of the way before the time of his coming. DNC 76, verses 92 through 96. And thus we saw the glory of the celestial, which excels in all things, where God, even the Father, reigns upon his throne forever and ever, before whose throne all things bow in humble reverence and give him glory forever and ever. They who dwell in his presence are the church of the firstborn, and they see as they are seen. And know as they are known, having received of his fullness and of his grace. And he makes them equal in power and in might and in dominion. And the glory of the celestial is one, even as the glory of the sun is one. And now verse 102. Last of all, these are they who will not be gathered with the saints to be caught up unto the church of the firstborn and received into the cloud. And 107 and 108. And when he shall deliver up the kingdom, meaning Christ, and present it unto the Father, spotless saying, I have overcome and have trodden the winepress alone, even the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. Then shall he be crowned the crown of his glory, to sit on the throne of his power, to reign forever and ever. And DNC 45 verse 2. Therefore, and again I say, hearken unto my voice, lest death shall overtake you in an hour when ye think not. The summer shall be past. And the harvest ended, and your souls not saved. Let's go back to DNC 76. Now, what in verses 50 through 71, we get an outline of what is required to come forth in the morning of the first resurrection which is to ascend to the level of a king and a priest, a queen and a priestess. And, you know, summing that up, 
it is to become a king and a priest, as is outlined in verse 56, a queen and priestess, to be sealed to the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood for men, to the matriarchal order for women, to become God's little G, even the sons of God, big G. Now let's cross-reference verse 52. Um, Now verse 52 says that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. So let's go to DNC 45 and read verses 8 and 9. I came unto mine own, and my own received me not. But unto as many as have received me, gave I power to do many miracles, and to become the sons of God. Even unto them that believed on my name, gave I power to obtain eternal life. Now notice that we're that language almost identical to Third Nephi nine verse twenty. Um, is being used. So again, in third Nephi nine verse 17, and as many as have received me to them, have I given to become the sons of God. And then in verse 20, Christ says how that's done through offering up a broken heart, contrite spirit, receiving the baptism of fire, baptism, of the Holy ghost. So if we go back to DNC 45, eight and nine, and I came unto mine own, and mine own received me not, but unto as many as received me. The exact same wording as in Third Nephi 17. And the way that we receive him is the new and everlasting covenant of broken heart and contrite spirit, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Gave I power to do many miracles and to become the sons of God. And even unto them that believed on my name gave I power to obtain eternal life. And even so I have sent mine everlasting covenant, which Christ Christ sets forth in 3 Nephi um, chapter 9, verse 20. Broken heart, contrite spirit, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Unto the world to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people and for the Gentiles to seek to it. And when they receive it, they have the Gentile blood purged out of them and they become blood Israel. And to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. So the Gentiles received the fullness of the gospel those who became members of the Church of Christ, then the Church of the Latter-day Saints, known now as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, received the fullness of the gospel during Joseph Smith's day, but rejected the fullness. Um, And the Latter-day Saints, again, through the Book of Mormon, which contains the fullness of the doctrine of Christ, receive it in the last days. And even Joseph Smith and the end-time servants return to teach again this doctrine, the new and everlasting covenant by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. So, verse 9, And even so I have sent mine everlasting covenant, broken heart, contrite spirit, baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, into the world, through the Book of Mormon, and through the return of Joseph and the end-time servants, to be a light to the world, 
it becomes a light to the world because after the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house is finished on the end time exodus and until the coming of Christ in his glory, Israel is gathered out and the fullness of the gospel is taught by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost to them that they might receive or reject to be a light to the whole world and to be a standard for my people. It's a standard because there is only one way. There is no other way than to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit. Everyone ultimately must receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And for the Gentiles to seek to it. Now, the very fact that you are on this Zoom call means that you are part of those who are seeking to it. And to be a messenger before my face, it is incumbent upon all those who have been warned to warn their neighbors. And time is growing short. Um, We must warn not only our family members and our friends and all those who will listen, that they must not receive this vaccine. But going hand in hand with that is that they must enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and diligently seek after the baptism of fire, baptism of the ghost. And this is how we with them are able to, as it says in the last line of verse nine, to prepare the way before me or before Jesus Christ, before he comes. And so this as a cross reference to DNC 76 verse 52, that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. And also verse 52 and also DNC 45, you know, eight and nine. And third Nephi 9:17 and 20. Um, and so third Nephi chapter 9, verses 17 and 20. Um, we just read, and also 19 through 23, and ye shall offer up unto me no more the shedding of blood. Yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offering shall be done away. For I will accept none of your sacrifices and burnt offerings. Behold, I have come unto the world to bring redemption unto the world to save the world from sin. Therefore, whoso repenteth and cometh unto me as a little child, him will I receive. For of such is the kingdom of God. Behold, such I have laid down Behold, for such I have laid down my life and have taken it up again. Therefore, repent and come unto me, ye ends of the earth, and be saved. In DNC 76, verse 69. These are they who are just men made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. All right. The new covenant doesn't end with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost 
is the gate through which we must enter, you know, to be on that path to become ultimately as Christ is. So, you know, the beginning part of the new covenant is to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, but ultimately it is designed to then bring us into Christ's presence, into the fullness of his glory, to go from there to becoming kings and priests, queens and priestesses unto the most high God. Um, and to go on from there to become even as he is. Verse 69 again in DNC 76. These are they who are just men made perfect through Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, who wrought out his perfect atonement through the shedding of his blood. These are they whose bodies are celestial, or in other words, the ultimate design of the new and everlasting covenant is to make men and women celestial. And, you know, that will happen at the end of the millennial period as the earth transitions from terrestrial to celestial glory. So the whole point is to help us start on this celestial earth and make all of the progress that is required of us that by the end of the millennial period, we're ready to make that transition from glorified terrestrial to glorified celestial. Our celestial whose glory is that of the sun, even the glory of God, the highest of all, whose glory, the sun of the firmament firmament is written of as being typical. Now, DNC 45, 45 through 60. But before the arm of the Lord shall fall, an angel shall sound his trump, and the saints that have slept shall come forth to meet me in the cloud. Now, the term saints refers to those at the level of just men made perfect, those who have become kings and priests, queens and priestesses. Wherefore, if ye have slept in peace, blessed are you. For as you now behold me and know that I am, even so shall ye come unto me, and your soul shall live, and your redemption shall be perfected, and the saints shall come forth from the four quarters of the earth. Then shall the arm of the Lord fall upon the nations, and then shall the Lord set his foot upon this mount, and it shall cleave in twain, and the earth shall tremble and reel to and fro, and the heavens also shall shake. And the Lord shall utter his voice, and all the ends of the earth shall hear it, and the nations of the earth shall mourn, and they that have laughed shall see their folly, and calamity shall cover the mocker, and the scorner shall be consumed. And they that have watched for iniquity shall be hewn down and cast into the fire. And then shall the Jews look upon me and say, What are these wounds in the hands and in thy feet? And then shall they know that I am the Lord. For I will say unto them, These wounds are the wounds which I was wounded in the house of my friends. I am he who is lifted up. I am Jesus Christ that was crucified. I am the Son of God. And then shall they weep because of their iniquities. Then shall they lament because they persecuted their king. 
And then shall the heathen nations be redeemed. And then they that knew no law shall have part in the first resurrection. And it shall be tolerable for them. And Satan shall be bound that he shall have no place in the hearts of the children of men. And at that day, when I shall come in my glory, shall the parable be fulfilled, which I spake concerning the ten virgins. For they that are wise and have received the truth and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide have not been deceived. Fairly I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. So, what we must do to prepare that we find ourselves not in that season where the summer is over and it is too late and our soul is not saved, we must take the Holy Spirit as our guide. Therefore, we find the truth and are not deceived. Verse 58, And the earth shall be given unto them for an inheritance, and they shall multiply and wax strong, and their children shall grow up without sin unto salvation. For the Lord shall be in their midst, and his glory shall be upon them, and he will be their king and their lawgiver. And now behold, I say unto you, it shall not be given unto you to know any further concerning this chapter until the New Testament be translated, and in it all these things shall be made known. Now, when does that happen? When will the New Testament be translated and all these things be made known? Well, it wasn't during Joseph Smith's first ministry. Although he was able and did have time to make a few inspired additions and commentaries, uh, he was far from completing the work of translating the New Testament. Uh, in fact, that is what he is currently engaged in at this very moment. The full translation of the New Testament. And this has direct reference to when he comes in his second ministry, he will bring the full translation of the New Testament with him, which will contain... Um, much knowledge which has been hidden from the world up till the time that he will come along. Also, he will bring uh, his translation of the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, the brass plates, and the record of the Twelve Apostles. Wherefore, I give unto you that ye may know, that ye may now translate it, that ye may be prepared for the things to come. For verily I say unto you that great things await you, Ye hear of wars in foreign lands, but behold, I say unto you that they are nigh, even at your doors, and not many years hence ye shall hear of wars in your own lands. Wherefore I, the Lord, have said, Gather ye out from the eastern lands, assemble yourselves together, ye elders of my church. Go ye forth into the western countries, call upon the inhabitants to repent, and inasmuch as they do repent, build up churches unto me. Or in other words, in this second ministry, go forth and baptize the people by the power of the Melchizedek priesthood into the terrestrial order of the gospel. And as people are prepared, perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And with one heart and with one mind, gather up your riches that you may purchase an inheritance, which you, you shall hereafter be appointed unto you. 
Now, these riches are not earthly riches. These are the riches of eternity. These are the riches of the doctrine of Christ. These are the riches of being transformed from who we are now to ones who are as Christ is. Verse 66, And it shall be called the New Jerusalem, a land of peace, a city of refuge, a place of safety for the saints of the Most High God. And the glory of the Lord shall be there, and the terror of the Lord shall also be there, insomuch that the wicked will not come unto it, and it shall be called Zion. And it shall come to pass among the wicked that every man that will not take his sword against his neighbor must needs flee unto Zion for safety. Now, it's important to note that this will be the case once New Jerusalem is established, but not before. Uh, Oftentimes, we make too hasty a generalization that we should beat our plowshares into pruning hooks before uh, New Jerusalem is established. But this would be a mistake. Verse 69, And there shall be gathered unto it out of every nation under heaven, and it shall be the only people that shall not be at war one with another. And it shall be said among the wicked, Let us not go up to battle against Zion, for the inhabitants of Zion are terrible. Wherefore we can... He read a quote that we're all obsessing over trying to find it because his reference was wrong. And it shall come to pass that the righteous shall be gathered out from among all nations and shall come to Zion singing with songs of everlasting joy. And now I say unto you, keep these things from going abroad into the world until it is expedient in me that ye may accomplish this work in the eyes of the people and the eyes of your enemies, that they may not know of your works until ye have accomplished the thing which I have commanded you. That when they shall know it, that they may consider these things. For when the Lord shall appear, he shall be terrible unto them, that fear may seize upon them, and they shall stand afar off and tremble. And all nations shall be afraid because of the terror of the Lord and the power of his might, even so. Amen. And with that, I conclude um, the series on the second coming of Jesus Christ.